once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. We have a privilege and honor to have Doug Fell with us this morning. Doug uh, planted a church in Johannesburg, South Africa. Actually, uh, he worked at kind of the mother church uh, there in Johannesburg that we had a partnership uh, almost seven years ago. And out of that, he planted that church. So we want to thank you and especially Claire and the three kids for having you able to come here. And and, uh, he's a powerful, powerful preacher. You are about to hear that. It's just an honor to have him. But even more than that, uh, he gives his life away to men. He has his own personal discipleship group. Uh, His church is all about discipleship. And he helps lead the life-on-life movement there, not only in Johannesburg, but also in Durban, a city there on the coast. So I'd love to pray for you, Doug, this morning. Father, I pray that you would continue to use this man to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel, to preach the word of God powerfully. Fill him right now with your spirit. Be with his children, his wife back at home, protect them. And may we learn as you use him to look at the word, to understand the word of what you've called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good, uh, good morning, Perimeter. It is a real, uh, a real joy uh, to be able to be with you again this morning. The last time I was in Atlanta... Uh, was 2015. We spent three weeks here uh, at an intensive, getting trained up in discipleship and disciple making, and it was it was brilliant. I have such wonderful memories of being uh, in in Atlanta, and uh, I know most of you uh, will never see me again. Uh, but I did want to take this opportunity to say thank you to you uh, for the investment that you, as a church, have made into my life uh, personally in the area of discipleship, many other areas, and into our church. I think I can say with honesty that our church has been shaped in ways that I'm probably not even aware of uh, through the, the love and the ministry of, of Perimeter and the guys that have come out to walk with us and journey with us and continue to do that. So thank you so much for your kindness to us. We, we treasure our partnership with, uh, with Perimeter and we love, uh, we love the guys who come. We feel very loved and supported and helped by, by your church. So thank you so much. It's a real uh, joy to be here. Um, I had really, really hoped uh, that I would be able to start with an intro about congratulating you on winning the Super Bowl, but you guys just messed that up. Can we just get it out of the way right up front? Oh, I'm so disappointed for you. Not in you, just for you. Um, anyway, um, it's my joy, it's my privilege to preach God's Word. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, we're going to look at the, at the call of Isaiah uh, there's a verse being lifted out of that uh, that's been used in the Global Mission Spotlight, all the, uh, all the promotional things, but I'd love us for us to look at this call of Isaiah and see what God would say to us and how he would help us this morning. So from verse one of Isaiah chapter six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. We're just going to read that far this morning. I would encourage you in your own time to read the rest of that chapter uh, and, and, to, and to make some time to rewind and start at the beginning of Isaiah and just read the whole book from beginning to end. It would do your soul a lot of good. It is a wonderful, uh, wonderful book. Um, and can I say, uh, just as we get uh, going here, that I'm going to be talking about Isaiah the whole morning. Not the whole morning, just the whole of my sermon. And I know y'all, y'all talk about Isaiah. Um, I don't know who he is. Um, Isaiah, I know, God knows him. Isaiah, he's, uh, you know, I was in the UK a couple weeks ago. There they talk about Isaiah. They invented English. And so we're going <laughs> to... We're going to go with what they go with. One day, you all, y'all are going to catch up and call him Isaiah. If you bump in, into him in heaven and you call him Isaiah, I have warned you. His name is Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah, uh, it starts off and it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was, uh, he started off as a good king, and by the end, he was a bad king, like this sort of the normal story of Israel and Judah. Same thing on repeat. One king is gone, and Isaiah finds himself with his vision in the temple of another king. This is what he says, this, this throne, this king is on a throne, and this throne is high and exalted. It's high and lifted up. You'll notice you need, to, you need to dig into some of the detail that Isaiah gives us here. There's not a whole bunch of thrones. There's only one. There is only one king in heaven. There is only one ruler on a throne who rules over all, and he is the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah sees him on this throne, and it's high, and it's lifted up, and it says that the train of his robe fills the temple. This is another way of saying that his grandeur, his majesty, you can't get your head around it. I don't know if you've ever seen the coronation of a king or a queen, 
but what they often do is they, they tog them up in all their uh, regal and royal regalia, and then they put a long uh, train on them, and they walk them along, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of minions running around behind them, helping them move this, uh, this train along. You know, it's not very regal if you're walking along and you're dragging the train and you're, you look like you're tugging something backwards there. Uh, so they, they've got the minions running along behind, helping them, and it's meant to give this sense of absolute decorum and majesty to the royal walking through. And it's meant to draw a distinction between all the other plebs, the, just the regular Joes, and this person, where's your long train? You know, you're meant to get the imagery that you don't have this train of your robe that fills anything. And Isaiah says that this king's, the train of his robe, there is no room left in this temple for this king's, the train of his robe. You cannot wrap your head around the majesty and the glory of this king. And above him are these seraphim, these angels, and with two wings they are covering their faces because they cannot gaze directly on the glory of the Lord. With two they are covering their feet as a sign of their humility. With two they are flying and they're calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy. The sound is going backwards and forwards. I wonder when you picture that in your mind, what you, what you think of. I mean, how many seraphim are there in your version of events? Six? You know, 12, a choir, I love the choir here. Uh, a choir, I mean, it's an impressive amount of people to be singing. When I close my eyes and I think of this, I think of seraphim as far as my eyes can see. As far as my eyes can see, an angelic host that day in and day out are worshiping around the throne of the King of Heaven and crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is this Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it says, at the sound of their voice, the whole place is shaking. The whole building's shaking. And you see the first smoke machine in the Bible. The place is filled with smoke. I mean, Isaiah is appropriately terrified at what's going on. I, uh, I became a Christian when I was 17 and now I'm a professional Christian, and so I have lost track of how many services I have been to, how many times I've been to church, how many worship gatherings I've been a part of, and maybe you relate to some of this, but I often find myself there at the beginning of a worship gathering, and I'm wondering, did I lock my car? You know, the band are singing there, everyone's wishing, and I'm thinking, did I lock my car? Because it's not as such a big deal here, but in South Africa, if you don't lock your car, it's probably not gonna be there when you get back. <laughs> um, and that's just free advice for you if you ever come to South Africa, you'll thank me later. Uh, but I'm wondering, I'm standing there, okay, no, no, I think I did lock the car. Hey, my, my tummy doesn't feel 100% right. I wonder if it's what I ate last night. Oh, oh Jesus. Uh, I'm not gonna sing for you because that'll clear this whole place out in no time, but... Uh, you know, I'm singing, and the next thing I'm wondering about, like, what I'm gonna have for lunch. You know, I'm thinking, did I discipline my kids correctly? It's like, oh yes, back where were we was again? Does that ever happen to you? Where you're just, the, you're so distracted in worship. My mind's bouncing around all over the place. And you know what I long for for myself, and for our church, and for you? Is that God would be so kind to us that he would wake up the wonder in us that when we gather together, we wouldn't be distracted with a million other things like you are now. 
that you're thinking, how long is this guy going to go on for? I wonder which way I should exit. I need to pick something up up there. Oh, I should phone this person later on. That we would have a vision of the king that would so encapture our focus that everything else would just fade. We would hear him. We would see him. And it would devastate us for everything else. We would sense a weight of the glory of the king of heaven that it wouldn't be business as usual. That's what I long for in my own life, for our church, and I long for that for you. And notice here what the angels are declaring. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And if we were writing, if we were writing the script, we might put other words in there. Loving, loving, loving is the Lord of hosts. Gracious, gracious, gracious is the Lord of hosts. You'd put in there whatever was your favorite characteristic of God, the thing that you treasure the most about him, wouldn't you? It's not often that we'd treasure the holiness of God. What is it? Well, the word, the holy, word holy, you probably know this. It's a, it means separated, separated. It's distinct. It's sacred. It's not like everything else. And these angels, 24-7 around the throne, this is what they are worshiping about God, that he is not like you. And he's not like me. He is God, and he is different. He is so completely other to everything else. He is creator, and we are creation. And there is a massive difference between those two things. That's why it is astounding when Jesus comes into the world as a man. It is absolutely, devastatingly astounding that he would do that because God is so completely different to us. Psalm 86 is one of my favorite psalms. And verse nine and 10 says this, there is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. You're not one of the options, God. There's no one like you, no one does anything you do. You alone are God. We should be astounded when we see God in his otherness. I am, I'm in a wonderful stage of life with three youngish kids and my oldest son is eight. And at school at the moment, uh, for the list, sort of this term, you don't have terms, I don't know what you call them, we have terms, he's learning about space. I mean, he is just loving his life. He's sort of thinking like, for such a time as this, I was born, what a privilege to be alive. An eight-year-old boy going to school, learning about space. He comes home every day, and he's got a new fact or some information. They've looked at rockets and whatever. I mean, the guy is just loving his life. And he comes home a few weeks ago, uh, and he, he gets given an assignment by the teacher. The teacher tells him to go home and find out how much bigger than the earth is the sun. So he, you know, he's still sort of at the age where he thinks I actually know everything. And so he wanders in and uh, he's like, hey dad, uh, you know, how much big, and I'm like, I have absolutely no idea, a, a lot. 
He needs a more exact answer than that. Uh, and um, because I didn't pay any attention in school, I thought it was just there to facilitate organized sport. Uh, and so, but I do know where to find these kinds of answers. So I go to Google and I ask Google, and Google tells me dutifully that the Earth fits into the sun 1.3 million times. Maybe you knew that. I, I, I didn't, that was news to me. I knew it was a bit. 1.3 million times. It's a 17-hour flight from, a, from Johannesburg to Atlanta. It's a really long way. And that's not the whole of the earth. The earth is a big place is what I'm trying to say. One, don't, don't, don't let this wash over you too quickly. 1.3 million of these balls that we live on fit into the sun. And do you know that the sun is actually a pretty small little star in the bigger scheme of things? You get one of those things where you keep zooming out like that, you get past the sun in no time, the sun looks like a little speck, and you get these things that make the sun look like a little pinprick. And I'm telling my son this, and his eyes are just like. <laughs> that evening we go, to, uh, we go to read the Bible and pray together. And uh, how do I say this um, kindly? He is eight, and he would rather uh, shoot the dog with his Nerf gun than sit and learn about Jesus. Uh, right about now, we are praying that that changes. Uh, it's changing slowly, but he's a regular eight-year-old boy. He's got a million other things that he would rather do than sit and learn about Jesus. And, you know, and trying to get him to sit still while I'm praying is like trying to nail jelly to a tree. It's like just, oh, I feel exhausted when you finally get him to bed at night. And if we've got anything about Jesus spoken about, I've considered like I'm waiting for Jesus to come back on the clouds. It's been a great day. Um, that night, that night, we're about to pray. And I said to him, hey, bud, uh, just a reminder, hey, the, the one that we're talking to now, the one that we're going to bring our request to and stuff, he's the one who made 1.3 million of what we live on that fits into the sun. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he even strung together a couple of lines just talking about how impressed he was with God. Just amazed how big and strong God was. And as I was praying and bringing our family's needs to him, he's like nodding along. He was sitting in the same place and agreeing with me as we thought of this God who we can't get our heads around is absolutely immense in his majesty. And I went to bed that night, I was thinking, dad of the year, well done, you know, like uh, progress being made. And I got up in the morning early, and as I went to go and spend time with God on my own, I'm still patting myself on the back, still feeling pretty chuffed with myself. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know, I don't have a lot of time. Yeah, I need to just get, get this over with quickly. Oh, I shouldn't say that out loud, but I'm like, and I feel the Holy Spirit pro prodding me and saying that, that wasn't for him. That was for you. That was for you, Doug. And I'm the God who made 1.3 million of the earths fit into the sun. Hey, but this morning I'm welcoming you. You're my son and I love you. And I'm welcoming you into this ongoing conversation that we have. I delight to hear what you have to say. You have my ear, my face is set towards you, my affection is on you, let's talk. And I, that has become something that I have be allowed to wash over me almost as a mantra. Say, God, this is you, but you're immense. I can't get my head around it, but you treat me like this beloved son. It's, it's such good news. It's too good for me. The last thing I want to mention about the holiness of God here is that God is not worship for what he's done. He's worship for who he is. 
holy, 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 character, nature. This is you, God. Yes, the, the scriptures do talk about what God has done, but here, the song that goes around the throne 24-7 deals with who God is intrinsically in his nature. He is other than us. And because he's other than us, he's not affected at all by sin. He's not defiled by anything. There is no impurity in God. He is the absolute perfection of everything, of love, of patience, of grace, of kindness. All of that is God. Everything starts here. And everything is sustained by a right view of the king of heaven. Isaiah sees this. He sees the majesty and the glory of God and his response is spot on. Woe to me. Woe to me. I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live, I live amongst the people of unclean lips. If you, if you read chapter five, you'll see that Isaiah's been dishing out the woes to everybody else. All of chapter five is woe to these people, woe to those people, woe, woe, woe. Everyone get, everyone's getting a woe. It's like Oprah. You know, everyone gets a woe. Uh, chapter six, chapter six starts, he sees the king. And what is his response? Woe, woe to me. Woe to me, I have, I have seen the king. I, I, what, who am I to gaze and to be in the presence of this king? I am a man of unclean lips. We know from what Jesus says that what comes out of your lips is demonstrative of what's in your heart and what Isaiah is talking about here is that he understands that he is impure in the presence of God. He's impure in the presence of God. Every time I, every time I read this passage and think about this unclean lips, I think about the same son. Um, we lived in the States. This actually happened a few years ago while we were living in the States. We call a pacifier a dummy in South Africa, and he still had a dummy. And he comes running to me the one day, he's the most excitable young human being I've ever met, comes running to me, so excited, the dummy's in his mouth. And he says, Daddy, 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 he's learned this amazing skill of being able to talk fluently with his dummy in his mouth. Daddy, 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 I, uh, I dropped my dummy, but don't worry, I cleaned it. And I'm thinking, where did you drop it? Ah, on the floor. How did you clean it? Come, I'll show you. I'm thinking, oh. So I go with him. I'm thinking, where, where are we going? We take a sharp left into the bathroom. I'm thinking, he's too short to reach up there. He leads me over. Yeah, you know where this is going, to the toilet bowl. <laughs> he says, in there. I'm like, it's not clean, the toilet bowl. He's just sloshed his dummy around, banged it back in his mouth. He's thinking, who needs parents? I've got this thing sorted. I'm an individual, I'm self-sufficient. You know, I'm putting him to bed that night and I'm just, I'm like, hey, Dad, give me a good night kiss. I'm like, I'll give you a peck on the forehead. That's about as all you're gonna get. I'm not going near those lips. You know, hose you down. Unclean, unclean lips. Isaiah sees the king. And his reaction is, I, I can't stand in, this, in the presence of this king in the state that I'm in. I'm a sinful man. But you know what happens next to him is he experiences grace. God sends one of the angels with a coal that's taken from the altar which was where they would do the sacrifices. And the imagery here is that this coal is taken 
with tongs and placed in the hand and it's touched against his lips and it says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And God pronounces over Isaiah forgiveness. And for those of us who follow Christ, that's what God has done over you. And you'll notice here that it's not Isaiah running to the, to the altar and grabbing a coal for himself and trying to sort out his own forgiveness. We can't do that unless God forgives. God is the one we have offended. He is the high and the holy one. God initiates the forgiveness and he speaks it over Isaiah and he speaks it over you this morning if you follow Christ. That your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. If your spiritual life has stalled in any way, which it happens to us, doesn't it? Where we just chug, 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 doesn't, not moving anywhere, stale. Instead of hurrying along to activity, I would encourage you to soak your heart in this truth that God does not treat you as your sins deserve. That's not how God is. Imagine how terrifying it would be if God gave you what you deserve. But the truth of the gospel is that God treats us with kindness when all we deserve is wrath. In Psalm 103 verse 10 it says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And God speaking for himself later on in Isaiah 43 verse 25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. It's been one of the things that's helped me so much in my journey with God as I come before him. I say, God, I don't know how it happens. I don't know why you choose to do this, but when I come, front of mind often for me is all the things that I've disappointed God in, all the things I've done wrong, and then I remember these verses, I say, God, it says, I don't remember your sins. I've placed them on my son. I have forgiven you. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. I'm not bringing those things up again. I want you to live in joy as a recipient of grace and throw off all kinds of works-based righteousness. I want you to delight in my son and in what I have done for you. This is the foundation of following Jesus. And Isaiah sees the king on his throne in all of his glory and holiness and majesty and his fears for his life. And then he receives this astounding statement over his life of forgiveness. And it puts him in a perfect position for God's next question to him. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? See Isaiah's response there? Here am I, here I am, send me. See, his, his response is not, uh, here I am God, but I am loving this. This is so cool. Can't we do this the whole time? Can't we do this amazing worship in the temple kind of deal? Just stay here. You know, one of the things that keeps us as Christians from serving God in the hardest places of the world is that we have become so comfortable and we have thought that this is where God wants us primarily. This is not where God wants us. This is a catalyst 
for God to explode us out into the streets, the neighborhoods, and the nations of the world, filled with the power of the Spirit of God on his mission to see him glorified in every nation of the world, but not to cluster in a holy huddle just enjoying the presence of God. That will come. That's what we're fit for, for all eternity. That'll come, but that's not the priority now. Notice that he doesn't say, here I am, send somebody else. Good idea, God. I think I've got this perfect person in mind. <laughs> no, for many of us, that's our number one obstacle to serving God anywhere. You just don't feel like you've got much to give. You feel pretty ordinary. And I've got amazing news for you today, that you're right. You are very, very ordinary. You are incredibly average. Yeah, I've got a side um, business as a motivational speaker. Um, <laughs> I don't come cheap, but uh, I can see you all wanting to book me. But it, that's the truth of the gospel is that you are decidedly average. You know how the Bible describes you? As a cracked jaw. As a cracked jaw, not even a smooth jaw, just a cracked jaw. But what God puts into that jaw is his spirit so that whenever anything happens in you and through you that looks impressive and glorifies God, it's abundantly clear to everybody that it's got nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. Amen? Amen. That's how God has wired you to be average, to be weak. So don't use your weakness as an excuse to not participate in God's plans in bringing the nations to the obedience of Christ. You're in a perfect position if you think you don't have what it takes to be used by God in the most glorious ways in partnership with Him. Isaiah's response, here I am, send me. Notice that he, he says yes before he knows what God's asking him to do. He says yes before he knows. And, and do you know what God asked him to do? I mean, Isaiah had a tough gig. Basically, God was calling him to, to go and preach to a rebellious people. And it says that through his preaching, their hearts would get harder and harder and harder over a period of time until ultimately, a while later, it would result ultimately in God judging them. There was no radical revival. There was no national turning, no national repentance. There was nothing like that. All you see in Isaiah is what? is a faithfulness to what God called him to do, a faithful obedience to it. There's no fruit, there's no glorious success. Part of our problem as a culture is that we are addicted to the appearance of success. That's what keeps many people from, away from serving God in hard places. We are so wired we're so addicted to the appearance of success. If I could guarantee you this morning that if you said yes to serving God in one of the hard places of the world and then within 10 to 15 years of you being there, you would see amazing things happening. Revival, healing, miracles, fruit, conversions, discipleship, you saw the whole package, churches planted, amazing things happening. A whole bunch of you would probably sign up for it because we wanna see fruitfulness. But you know what the problem is? That God has called us to faithfulness, not fruitfulness. 
God has called us to obey what he has asked us to do and called us to do. And he said, I'll take care of the fruit. Paul reminds the Corinthians, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. It's God who takes our lives and brings fruit from our serving him in whatever time frame he chooses. I often ask myself the question, God, what will it take, what will it take for all the nations of the world to be reached? Word says that he's only coming back when all the nations have heard. What will it take for us to get there? And I'm convinced this is the answer. It will take a new generation of people, not a new age generation, a new wave of God's people who see the king in all of his glory and holiness and majesty and receive from him forgiveness and understand that and are devastated with thanks that God would not treat them as their sins deserve, who hear his voice calling us to go and say, we will go. And God, we will bury our lives as seed in the ground in the hardest places of the world. We will serve you in a way we won't worry about the fruit. If we get to see it in our lifetime, that would be fantastic. But if not, we know we will see it in eternity. That is what it's gonna take to reach the nations for Christ. People moved by the Spirit of God, willing to bury their lives in the ground for the glory of the King. Outside of that, it's not gonna happen because we run for comfort, every one of us. As I'm getting older, things are becoming way clearer for me by God's grace. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus said. Go and make disciples of all nations. And my question to you this morning is not the, it, it's not will you join God in what he's doing in the nations of the world. That's not my question to you. My question to you is this, how? How will you join with God in what he's doing in the nations of the world? How will you partner with what God is doing around the world? If you have not seen it, the starting point for you, get on the internet, get on a plane, go and see what God is doing in the nations. You will be amazed. You will be amazed at what God is doing in different parts of the world. But you have to answer the question, how are you participating in God's plan to see his name made famous in every square inch of this planet? Some of you will go, some of you will give money to make it happen, some of you will pray more than others for fruitfulness and for faithfulness for those sent. Some of you will encourage others. I don't know what part God's calling you to play, but it's not an optional extra that you participate in God's mission to the nations. This is what it means to follow the God who loves every nation on the planet. How will you join God in his mission? Famous missionary to Africa, David Livingston said this. If a commission by an earthly king is thought an honor, how can a commission from a heavenly king be thought a sacrifice? Let me read that again. If a commission by an earthly king is thought an honor. 
how can a commission from a heavenly king be thought a sacrifice? My prayer for you is that God would so sweep across your church, he would grab hold of of the hearts of hundreds of you and catapult you into the nations for your good and for his glory. Let me pray for us to that end. Father, you are the king of heaven and we wanna say this morning that we love you. We worship you, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. You are majestic beyond anything we can imagine and one day we will spend eternity gazing on your beauty and your glory and your holiness and we will marvel and live in wonder. We pray that we would have a taste of that now. We pray, Father, please send the Spirit to wake up wonder in our hearts, in our lives and I pray that you would so sweep across this wonderful, generous, gracious church and grab hold of people's hearts and move people to participate in what you are doing in the nations of the world for their good and for the glory and the fame of Jesus. We ask this in his name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.